Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta, along with Chris Douglas and Steve Lamar. We are in episode three, and we're going to continue the format of the first bit of the program, Getting to Know Way Church. And then we're going to get into what we're studying in the Way Groups right now, and that's the book of Galatians. So today we'll talk about Galatians 2. So I'll start with Chris talking about who is Way, and today we're going to focus on core values. And one of those core values is being an XYZ church. What does that mean? XYZ is simply uh, a place for Gen X, Generation Y, or the Millennials, and the Generation Zs to come together and to really uh, experience community together. And what we found through our um, you know, studies and research is that each of those uh, generations brings to the table something very unique that they're looking for in church. Uh, we believe Gen Xers are looking for community. They want to connect with uh, other people, other humans. They often feel isolated or feel like that they're, you know, they typically have 20-year-old children at this point now. Like, uh, they're empty nesters or starting to become. So so Gen X, we found uh, the people that would identify as being part of that generation are really just looking for community, someone to uh, to be bros with, you know? Like, mm-hmm. th- there, there's that... Uh, certainly that sense whereas the millennials and gen y they're really looking for authenticity like they want something that doesn't feel like a a scripted program they want something that feels like it actually cares about who they are how they think and 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 gets into the nitty-gritty of 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 caring about their life their mental health their spiritual health their physical health they want something that actually cares about them and presents itself authentically. And so we believe that's what the millennial generation right now is is looking for. It's looking for authenticity. And then Gen Z is a very different group. There uh, there are newcomers. There are up and coming leaders. And these guys are super creative. They're the first generation that that lived their entire life with technology in their hand. And and they know how to use it. And they, they want to use it. They want to do creative things. And so the core values, really, of, of Way are a community-driven, authentic, and creative church. And that's really great, right? Because you're, you're taking those three generations and kind of that, that core value of that generation and trying to bring that into the church. Now, there are generations before that, and there are mm-hmm. generations after that. We are not saying that we are not a church for all generations. No. However, there are a lot of people that fit in that category that don't know the Lord. And so why don't you talk a little bit about what the Christian faith of people in that age group looks like today. Each group kind of has their own different experience. I think uh, I can speak mostly to millennial because that's where I would fall. But I know that my Gen X peers, their experience of church was very much by a franchise. This is the franchise. You could show up to most churches. They would look the same, sound the same, smell the same, and same white lady greeting you at the door. Uh, and that it was their church experience. But as they've grown out of church or not cared to go back to church, they kind of uh, are not interested in that. They're not looking for the franchise anymore. They're looking for uh, for community in a way that doesn't feel like it's uh, going back to school or going to a club. They're looking for something that, that brings with it true valuable relationships and unfortunately in in kind of the old church structure that they were raised in uh, a lot of the things that we deal with in our relationships conflicts or mental health issues 
uh, we're taboo to talk about. And so they're looking for people that will, will connect with them to talk about those things, to do life with them and to be real with them. And so the same thing goes for the millennials. We, we, we kind of had the trickle down effect of, of their generation paving the way for us to becoming, uh, desi- desiring more authentic. We don't, we want real relationship. We want to experience a, a true moment at church. We want to uh, show up to church and have something that's real brought before us rather than a manufactured show. And so our generation has become really big at calling that out. Yeah, and that's really, really true. Um, because that, that's where I kind of fit in that all three of us are in the millennial that's right. category. And I've talked to many millennial friends that are are looking for something very different. And this is where, and we talked last time about, you know, what are some of the differences to like not having Sunday services every Sunday morning and being more community oriented you know partnership over program if you haven't listened to episode two please go back and listen to episode two those are all kind of coming out as well in those values of community authenticity and creativity but it also comes to that concept of dwelling at the intersection of faith and culture why culture because you hear people say all the time be in the world but not of the world what do we mean yeah there is this beautiful intersection where culture needs faithful people to show up and to bring the gifts that God has given them, to bring the grace that Jesus has given them, and to sow that back into the cultural community. And here we are in North America at a time where most Clubs and groups are struggling to find volunteers to keep the lights on. The Lions Club in our in our own town is basically defunct. The Kinsmen dissolved a few years ago. So these groups that were doing incredible things for their community and for their culture uh, that surrounds that community are now gone. And so the church now has access to being a pivoting point for that culture. Are we going to ser- show up and serve? and get invested into people's lives again? Or are we going to continue to hide inside the walls of our church? That's really good. And in a part of that too is being partners with people in finding their personal mission. Like we are not necessarily going out and saying, here are the outreaches that you need to be a part of because you're a part of way. We actually want every person here to find their areas of involvement. And yes, it's great for us as a official way community to go and do things. But we also want to partner with you in your personal mission and the calling that God has put on your life. And so why is that part important? We believe strongly that everyone has a call, that everyone has a circle of influence and that they have opportunities to reach into those people's lives, to make godly impact. And we believe that there are many people who look at the structure that the North American church has of going many years to Bible school, graduating seminary, you know, becoming a pastor, uh, taking credentials in some system, and falling into uh, whatever structure it is, is what's required to be a church leader. And that's totally bogus. It doesn't exist in, in the, the scripture at all. Uh, I mean, you need to be qualified uh, through your peers. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's so many people 
doing incredible things that never went to Bible school. And so we're meeting those people, we're connecting with those people, and we can even hook them up with credentials through our program, if that's so required. But we do not require uh, them to have four years of educational experience at a seminary before we release them into the field. We want people to feel empowered. Yeah, and this is an area that is close to Steve's heart. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Steve? Yeah, so I've mentioned it a couple times that I came to weigh not wanting to volunteer, not wanting to be a part of the church, just showing up to church, and that's it. Just be at church and go home. And that transitioned because of God's grace and the amazing things that happened in my life to a point where I felt my calling again to be a pastor. And that's been the calling that's been on my heart since I was 11. So uh, one of the wonderful things that's happened is through Chris being my sponsor, uh, I am a credentialed pastor through Anchor Ministerial Fellowship. I haven't been to Bible college, but I am getting my Bible college education sort of through discipleship, really. Discipleship through conferences and meetings. And it's a huge transition. It's huge for me to be able to say that I am fulfilling my life's calling. But again, I think I could be doing what I'm doing without the credentials. It's just that's the way that's worked for me. And that's a really cool part of the story, right, is that we're seeing what God is doing in people's lives. And one of the reasons we're looking forward to having interviews with people in our community in the future is because we want to see and point out some of these ways that God is working in people's lives. And so to kind of take that turn into our our study of the scriptures, we find ourselves in the book of Galatians, and that is actually a community of people that is trying to figure out what their mission is, what their values are. And what we've discovered in the last episode is that one of the most important values of the church is grace. And so, Steve, why don't you, for those that haven't listened, catch us up a little bit on Galatians 1 and kind of where we find ourselves right now. Yeah, I'll give you the short version. Uh, it feels, when you read Galatians 1, that Paul is introducing the problem. He hasn't really nailed it on the head, but you get the idea that this is about legalism versus grace. And that's where the conversation's headed. This is one of most likely Paul's first few letters that he released. Uh, it's also something that you can see he's really passionate in this letter. And it's one of the few letters that sort of starts with a rebuke. He starts with a redirection and a correction. And you don't really see that in his other letters quite so much. So we're going from this initial rebuke that's happening in the first, mentioning that uh, anyone that perverts the gospel is cursed, and we could definitely address a curse sometime. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, but we're transitioning into, okay, so what perversion has happened? What rules are being stuck to that really they don't need to be held there because we have grace? Absolutely. That's, that's really good. And so, Chris, why don't you kind of take us on a journey of kind of where your heart is when you read Galatians 2? What is it that, that the Lord's saying to you for this community? Yeah, I really want people to tr take away from Galatians 2 the need for grace and to prioritize grace uh, for others. And uh, you're going to see in Galatians 2 a conflict 
uh, between Paul and Peter. And I believe Paul handles that conflict graciously. And I think Peter receives the rebuke graciously. And this is important to us as humans, recognizing that we are uh, daily surrounded by other people um, who, who might get the best of us at times. And uh, I, want, I want people to be able to uh, latch on to the idea that as much as we need grace, we also need to give grace. For sure. And, and, there, and grace has many different facets, right? And different, the, a difference in relationship will kind of help define the kind of grace that we're going to engage in. But what I find interesting here is that it is Paul and like other Christian leaders. And so, you know, we are in a world of so much faith-centered polarization. And so as a pastor, do you have some, like, what's on your heart in terms of how to actually treat and interact with and even disagree healthfully with other pastors and church leaders? Yeah, that's, that's a hard question. Uh, there are times where I disagree. And I think the Bible gives us a couple good examples of how to handle that. There's the don't cast pearls before swine, which is, uh, you know, you're wasting your wisdom. You're wasting your words on some people because they won't be swayed. It also tells you to turn the other cheek, especially if they return with, uh, you know, harsh words, uh, you know, try to attack in response to whatever your correction might be. But I think that the other version is what you see here, which is Peter and Paul kind of saying, oh, I let my, I let my cultural heritage and upbringing get the best of me. And this is really what happens with Peter is he looks back on how he was raised to have a separation between those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised and, and look on the uncircumcised as unclean. And, you know, he's reverting back to something. But Paul, being the disciple or apostle who's called to the Gentiles, to the unclean, needs to set a tone, a lesson for those he's discipling. Um, and, and he, you know, he's got Barnabas and he's got uh, Titus with him at this time. And these are guys that he's discipling. And, you know, they're falling and they're seeing, they're seeing Peter, the leader of their church structure at the time, falling into this trap. And Paul says, this isn't, this isn't good enough, guys. We're preaching grace. We're preaching the kingdom of God for everyone. And you're not showing that in your lifestyle. Yeah, I just had one quick thought. And this is for people that are maybe going through Galatians for the first time or maybe even just the New Testament. Uh, if you're reading, you may see the name Peter come up. You may see the name Cephas. You may see Simon. And they're all referring to the same person. So Simon is also called Peter. Peter meaning rock in Greek, with Peter being rock of the church, uh, pillar of the church, as Christ called him. And Cephas is actually rock in Aramaic. So Peter and Cephas are actually just nicknames for Simon. Interesting that you're talking about the rock of the church being the one that was very seriously an error. And I can only imagine how intimidating that would be to have to correct in that way something that is so obviously and clearly not correct and at this point is i think the jerusalem council was happening at that time 
And so why don't you talk, Chris, a little bit about kind of what was going on historically around the time when this letter was being written. Yeah, so this is kind of post-Jerusalem Council. Uh, the the Jew, Jewish uh, leaders in Jerusalem had gotten together. Um, you know, the apostles had come back together to kind of connect over a lot of the issues that they were seeing ar- arise because of their cultural heritage being so close to their Christian uh, walk at this point. And so uh, they... They, they come together and they kind of start to process what they knew of Jesus from the, the teaching that they had experienced firsthand and what they knew he was changing. And so one of the things was obviously that there was no way that you can earn salvation any longer. This was a grace thing. This was a centered around simply believing and receiving. And that was foreign concept to them, given all of the structures uh, of their of their tabernacle, uh, of the temple that you had to do at the time to even be considered uh, worthy of forgiveness. Yeah, they just had so many things culturally that uh, were required for uh, sacrifices, as an example, but uh, there's so many rules and regulations that they had to follow that needed to be sorted out. Like circumcision is mentioned multiple times, and uh, that's a big one that Paul actually, that's what Paul and Peter were disagreeing about. So specifically, grace does not require any of these legalistic things any longer. So the circumcision following all the heritage feasts and things like that that are traditional the traditional foods the restrictions that they had there are so many food restrictions and i'll be honest i love my bacon so i'm happy those aren't a problem for me today and there are interestingly two different groups that are a part of this conversation because you have the jews that we're dealing with all of these different rules around atonement and sacrifice and all of these different things, but also the Gentiles that were being reached out to and coming to Jesus as well. And that being kind of part of a big part of Paul's focus that didn't have that. And so I don't know if that means that they were maybe faster or easier to, to come around to the idea of grace because there wasn't as much of a change in tradition or exactly what that looks like, but they're, regardless of how that happens there has to come a point where we are moving away from the law and rules and regulations and moving into a place of grace and so steve why don't you read for us galatians 2 starting in chapter 19 yeah sure i'll read from the csb which is the christian standard bible for those that want to follow along so 19 says For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, yeah, from a big part of what I'm looking at that, when I read those verses, I start thinking about what does that mean when he died to the law through the law? And uh, I have to think back on the fact that Paul used to be Saul. 
Saul was a Pharisee more than that. He was part of the Sanhedrin, uh, which is basically a greater court for the Jewish people. And uh, he persecuted the Christians for what they believed. So he was a big believer in the law before Jesus showed up and changed everything for him. And you can see that transition in Acts, and it is a beautiful story. Um, but I think he can really speak those words and mean them, that he died to the law, through the law. That is gone to him. Now he lives in Christ. His focus is in what Jesus would want. He's not living through these constant laws and rules and regulations to try to atone for his sins. Uh, he has grace now through Christ. He lives through Christ. It's it's just such an amazing transition to see that he's bringing this message to the Galatians. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think it's our heart at way that we all find our way to this kind of transition to die to the law through the law, but also like to move to that place where we are fully embracing the gift of God. And that is not license for sin, but rather it's about actual spiritual growth and spiritual freedom as we get closer and closer to Jesus. And so from that pastoral heart, Chris, what do you want people to know? Like what kind of journey do you want people to move into to embrace that, that grace that God has for us? I want people to recognize in others the need for grace because we live so frequently uh, almost in a, in a state of self, selfish self-awareness where we, we know where we're at, we know how we're feeling, we know how we're doing, and we know how much we need that grace. But then when it comes to other people, we're kind of like, well, they bug me. And that presents itself as a problem because we forsake the grace we're given in a moment of discomfort because someone makes you a little bit uncomfortable or someone says something that, that's really bothersome. And I think as a pastor, this can become hard for me because I'm surrounded by people that are humans and humans are the ones that need the most grace. And, uh, you know, I, I look back frequently through my many years of ministry and, and I, when you say that there are people that might require some extra grace, their faces certainly come to mind and tense moments with those people certainly come to mind. And I know that a lot of them meant well, but often they were bringing harm, hurt, or even condemnation to things that we were doing for the sake of the gospel, just because it suited them. And so I want people from way to recognize that there are going to be people, even Christians, who will carry just an unhealthy uh, opinion. And you know what? You're allowed to have grace for those people, just as Jesus has grace for those people. So... I would pray and I would believe for each of you. If you wake up in the morning the f and you have no time to stop and pause and read or pray, just ask God for grace for the day. Because we all need it. That's right. We all need it. And because there is so much, like we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. And that's, that sounds like the bad news. But it is the goodness of God that leads to eternal life. And we are not just sitting here passively until that, quote, eternal life. That starts now. 
And one of those things of learning to live like Jesus is to share what has been freely given to us. Like I think about the person in the New Testament that had his debts forgiven, but he refused to forgive a much smaller debt to someone else. And I think we've all probably had moments where we've done that. I know that I've been like that at times and just need to have that reminder. Like, no, I can have grace for you because of the immense love and grace that Jesus had for me. And so as we kind of move to the end here, do either of you have any either kind of thoughts or things that are on your heart, but also maybe a question that we could ponder as as we kind of end off today's program? Yeah, so my big thing would be take a few minutes and just we've addressed Galatians 1 and 2. Read through them quickly. Take a look and look at it through the eyes of grace. Where is grace coming through in these words? Don't just take us at our word. Take a look yourselves and see what is Paul saying? What is his message really to these people? And how can I apply it to my life? How can I use this grace and take this grace with me? That's really good. I want people to just pause and really center themselves on this idea that grace came to the Gentiles as well. That is the people that were unworthy uh, of even being upheld in, in the Judaic law. These are people that had no place at the table. And pause and recognize that you've been given a place at the table. And how important it is to know that you are a child of God with a seat at the table and access to the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. And that is the best news that we could ever hear. And so let's end it on that to just remember the goodness of God. And so, of course, we would love to to hear from you through Facebook, through the website. We invite you to come and join us at a house of worship or a way group. But ultimately, that, what Chris just said, is what we want you to know, is the deep and never-ending grace and love of Jesus. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.